Hey there, this is singer-songwriter Lorenzo Walcott, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout Podcast. Are you ready for it? Three, two, one, let's go. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode two of our preview of the Rhode Island Author Expo. In this two-part series, I speak to some of the writers that you can meet at this wonderful event happening on Saturday, December 2nd, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Crown Plaza Ballroom in Warwick, Rhode Island. This is a free event with more than 100 writers, panels, raffles, and you can learn more at riauthorexpo.com. To kick off this episode, I'm talking with David Assurance for his book, The Refuge. Now, this one sounds like it has a rip-from-the-headlines feel, but I assure you it is a work of fiction. In this book, the U.S. is a broken country, with a far-right president granted unprecedented power over their political opponents. We talk about the story, how it came to be, and the characters that inhabit it. And joining me now is one of the many writers you can meet there. We're talking about his debut novel, folks, which I always love doing. Author David Shurens joins me to talk about Refuge, a novel of lost democracy. And David, you know, normally we're a very non-political show, and now we're nothing but politics. So thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Always happy to oblige. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it is. First, it is my first novel. And a few minutes before... I hooked up with you here on this Zoom call. I was working on my second. Nice. But the novel is, if you're going to pigeonhole it into a genre, uh, you could put it as a thriller in general, specifically a military thriller or and or political thriller. I can call it a political thriller, but one thing I don't do is take people through a particular political party. I don't take them through the halls of Congress or I don't take them into the Pentagon passageways. I don't take them to the Oval Office. I take a place in this world that is very peaceful and really lovely along the U.S.-Canadian border between Eastport, Maine, small little, you know, picturesque town, and an equally picturesque town in New Brunswick, St. Andrews. Uh, just up the St. Croix River, about 11 kilometers from there. And I take, as a fiction writer, I take a very peaceful place filled with ordinary people, and I bring conflict. So much conflict. Oh, my Lord. Yes, a good deal of it. Because it just was kind of interesting to try that, just to take the characters who are just really... Okay, they're ordinary people, but in extraordinary times, and they're having to deal with a new reality across that border. There are those who are still in the United States. One particular character, his name is Lieutenant Douglas Miles, and he's in the United States Coast Guard, and he's suddenly commanding the small boat, uh, Coast Guard small boat station that actually is in Eastport, Maine, and um, which is unusual for a full lieutenant to do that. And he gets the whole mission explained to him by the commandant of the Coast Guard. And then he follows through in his orders and it leads to some interesting situations. And then there's a community of American expats 
decided to move away to Canada or caught, caught up there in all the turmoil and uh, trying to make a new life for themselves up there in a new community. And inevitably, at least in this fictional world, which I hope doesn't become reality, there is a certain amount of conflict between across the border. And there are also Canadian characters that I created. One, uh, Robert Leclerc is his name, and he is uh, an analyst with the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, which most Americans would not realize is an actual agency. I had a lot of fun exploring what they do and their concerns, real concerns that they have today about what's happening on our side of the border. And um, the Douglas Miles, the Coast Guard Lieutenant, I based some of that on my own experience as a junior officer in the Coast Guard. Let's see, I hate to think how many decades ago, but it was decades. <laughs> and so you put all that together, just start writing. Nice, nice. One thing that I really liked was basically the setting for uh, for this book because it it is fiction. This is not, you know, a commentary. This is not a documentary. But, oh, my God, are we so close to that. The setting yeah. of your book, the election has basically been broken by political violence, yeah. the electorate clinging to its, you know, glorified past. Uh, and a far-right president has now had and now has unprecedented power over all political opponents. Basically, it's right. the fall of democracy. It's kind of the end of it, basically. It's largely inspired by current events. Was there any particular events or a time period that really kind of inspired the book? Anything that sort of kicked off this? You know what? I want to write this I, book. I, I wouldn't say it was a single thing. Hmm? There's the underlying factor that probably is no different for many first-time authors or continuing authors, but especially first time, you know, I'm retired now and I need to do something. I could have taken all the time and resources that I put into the novel, played a lot of golf, and all I'd be left with is the memory of a badly played game. Instead, I could hold this in my hands and this is my creation. I did this. Yeah. And that is pretty heady stuff. Mm -hmm. So there was a desire that this is something that I've wanted to do for many years. But then the story kicked in. I thought, oh, I'll just start there. I started writing. Oh, this make any difference? You know, like, will this actually turn into something? And it took on a life of its own. And and then, sadly, we were afflicted by the COVID pandemic. So here I am. Okay, I got a desk. I got a laptop. I can't really do much of anything else. So, again, more motivation and opportunity to write. And I had to do all my research basically on, online. When I was up in Eastport, you know, some authors, they like to go to their, their place and they set the story and they like to talk to the people up there. Well, if I did that, I'd be breaking some rules about public health. Later on, I, I presented a copy of the book to um, the Coast Guardsman at the station at Eastport. I just barged in and, okay. And they asked me, <laughs> well, they said, you didn't want to come up here while you're writing this. I said, you know, if I did that, I'd be more trouble 
for you guys because then we were in the middle of COVID and, you know, didn't want to take the chance passing something on to you guys. Mm -hmm. They're very gracious, by the way, very gracious. I relied on that and some memories of visiting St. Andrews, uh, camping with an RV up there. Wonderful experience. You got to go there. I put all that together and uh, suddenly I'm typing those last two words, the end. That is so satisfying, right? Just be like, okay, we're done. Yeah, yeah. And I get asked often, did I plan out all the chapters? Did I plan out all Mm -hmm. the little scenes? Hell no. I mean, I had an idea of where I wanted to take it. But of course, your third way through, ah, yeah, that would be good. Okay, (laughs) I'll kind of end it like that. And then... You're going, you're halfway through. No, I don't want to end it like that. I'm going to end it like this, you know? So something's changed. Eventually I wound up, you know, at those last two words. And then I went through the editing process, finally went to uh, a company that's now in Warwick, uh, Stillwater River Publications. They'll be at the book expo, by the way, Mm -hmm. Uh, rather prominent, I think. And uh, they helped me out. Everything they said, they did. They were on time and on target. Then it's all you know, promotional work is up to me. Exactly, exactly. Which is which is of course why we're here to you know uh, uh, talk about the book and talk about the story. So I want to ask a little more about about, about the setting now. In the sure. in the book's bio, you describe it as a country in chaos, which I think someone would yeah. some someone might say, "Hey, we're kind of there right now, actually." But how much worse is it in your book? Much worse. Mm. There's although there's you know in the setting of the novel, there's continuing political violence, yet the character is there. They're not in the thick of it. You know, how, think of it this way. How did most of us experience January 6th? On the television. We weren't down there. We just watched it on television, like the rest of the world. That's how these people here, they're kind of out of the way, but certainly are still involved, but they're not in the, for lack of a better metaphor, in the direct line of fire, you know? And so I think that's how most of us live our lives is that, okay, seek the ordinary. We seek the boring really. And if we see extraordinary things, they usually tend to be away from us and only come into our living room through uh, television. Mm -hmm. And so that's how they, kind of experience, although they become involved, no matter how hard they try to not be directly involved. So let's talk about some of the characters. You talked about one already, but I want to ask about the group of expatriates who basically still believe in democracy and kind of want to bring it back. Who are these people and how can they go about doing that? How can they restore democracy to a country that's kind of lost it? Well, that is the unanswered question, really. There's no magic waving of a wand at the end. Okay, I guess I'm giving a spoiler here. No spoilers. We no should, spoilers now. Yeah, we shouldn't uh, expect that kind of stuff. Mm. Like suddenly this apocalyptic vision is not going to be, oh, everything's fine. Just yep. tap the ruby slippers together and you're all. It doesn't work that way. The people who have found themselves, the Americans in Canada, variety of different types, the two main characters happen to be retired U.S. Air Force officers 
well retired. They've been retired for some years. And uh, one was an intelligence officer. The other one was a medical officer, a doctor. And they had simply bought a place up in St. Andrews to use as a summer place. And then events happened. They stayed across the border. Others had similar kind of things. They left, but you'll find out what the majority of people do. Leave your job, leave your family. That's tough. It certainly is. Do you feel like this book is sort of a meant to be like a warning to folks? Like, hey, we're kind of going in this direction. Now, you're not the first person to ask that. I did an, uh, a podcast with a, a gentleman in New South Wales, Australia, and he asked me, is, is this a kind of warning? I suppose in a very minor way. I mean, I did find some inspiration for this with uh, a book written in the 1930s that some people are still familiar with, uh, Upton uh, Sinclair, It Can't Happen Here. And uh, although if you read it today, it has some relevance. Some of the scenes and language may seem archaic in today's world. You bear with that and it still has a good message. And this is kind of falls in the same kind of path uh, as that. Uh, I suppose you could think of it as an update. Do you feel like the world in your book and the world we have now, are these like right next to each other? Are we kind of like right on the border here? Uh, could be. I mean, I'd say the needle has moved more toward the troubling times in my novel mm-hmm. than moved away from it. There are some moments where you feel like it's working. This week, I served as a poll watcher in my town. But then it looked very well. People were great, uh, very thankful, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, then you see in the Providence Journal where only 19% of the eligible voters voted in this special election uh, for the first congressional seat, 19%. That means that four out of five people are letting one out of five people decide. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been doing the poll watching stuff for, well, since 2020. And it's like, geez, there's one thing we're asking you, in addition to paying your taxes, which is kind of, you know, <laughs> As a real penalty for not doing it. But the only thing we're asking you to do is vote. Yep. We don't have a military draft. We don't have mandatory service or anything like that. Please vote. Exactly. Exactly. And 19%, I suppose that's to be expected, but it'd be nice if it was a lot more. Oh, I've got that beat. I've covered some elections as a reporter where we get 10%, 7%. And these are for like local, local offices that yeah. decide everything that happens in your town. Your way of yeah, life and, in that community; these are the folks that make sure it happens. And you're and you're letting, like you like you talk about like four to five letting the one fifth. You're you're talking about like letting, you're talking like nine people basically letting one decide. Yeah. That's even worse. That's so much yeah, worse, actually. I mean, well, you know, it's like the the banner over the Washington Post is "Democracy dies in darkness." Mm. Well, democracy can also die from apathy. Yep. Whatever you vote for, whoever you vote for, please try to vote. Yeah, get involved. I also want to ask, um, we were talking characters. I want to ask about those who serve this new government. How do their own morals and ethics suffer because of that or or how they kind of cope with that? The major character involved in that is 
the character in the Coast Guard, mm -hmm. Lieutenant Douglas Miles. Mm -hmm. By the way, his last name comes from a former commanding officer of mine, <laughs> but a good man. And anyway, he's a serving officer. He's supposed to be just apolitical. That's it. I don't talk about this. I don't. My mission is first and last, and that's it. I look to my command. I don't go any further. And he finds himself basically with a very unusual mission at that station. Normally, it's a senior chief that is an enlisted man, E7 chief, E8 senior chief, who is commanding such a, a station. But now there's a full lieutenant in 03 years there. Why? It has to be explained to him. Why am I going to this? I was an up and coming guy and now I'm here. So after it's explained to him and he can sort of contain his resentment of being sidetracked this way, he follows through in the mission and he finds himself also billeted with uh, a new federal law enforcement agency run by a unit run by a guy at Eastport by the name of Williams, uh, Homeland Security special unit to watch the border and maybe some other things. So uh, there's a lot of tension between the two, uh, ends in an interesting fashion. But, uh, you know, Douglas Miles, I, I get his, some of the search and rescue incidents or that happened that in this fictional world, uh, based on my own experience. And also he is kind of a, a collage of different types, I remember from Coast Guard days. You know, one man in particular that I knew, uh, was friends with, and you'd look at him and go, uh, he may be an ensign, but he's going to be an admiral someday. <laughs> you just knew. And and I wasn't the only one who thought that way about it. I kind of used some of his spirit, let's say, to put into that character. And others were just ordinary people, except for one man that is referred to as, as I introduced him, as the old man. Mm. And I'll leave it at that because I want the readers to discover who the old man is, ah. an American living in Eastport. Ah. Well, folks, there uh, there is certainly a lot to discover in this book, and you can find everything you want at refugedavidsurance.com. Link will be in the description. But before we go, you mentioned this earlier. Uh, you have a second book in the works. What can we expect from that? Yeah. Uh, that is turning out to be a kind of, it's another thriller, more, it's developing into more of a psychological thriller. A man who finds himself the subject of a great deal of harassment will wake up on the first page, the first line, and suddenly discovered he's bound and gagged and kidnapped. And then I'll just go back in time. <laughs> That's a great opening. I like that. I like so, that. Uh, I'm hoping it'll be nice. I'm, 72,000 words into it, so... It's an investment. You I like well that. finish it. Exactly. Yeah. This far in, you may as well finish it. Well, I'm going to finish it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, David, it's been great talking to you. Certainly looking forward to meeting you at the Expo. What are you most we'll looking... We'll see you there. Yeah, absolutely. What are you looking forward to? Oh, at the Expo? Yeah, yeah. I. It's just, uh, I have a good deal of fun just talking to people mm. who are looking for books. I'm curious about what they're looking for. I have a good deal of fun talking to other authors, you know, their experience in a, in a sort of a way we're doing, I do with them and they do with me what we're doing right now. You know, how'd you do this? You know, and uh, why? <laughs> All that kind of stuff. 
Excellent, excellent. Well, I'm I'm sure you'll get plenty of chances to do that in just in, in just in just a few weeks. Again, folks, December second, Crown Plaza Ballroom in Warwick, Rhode Island, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. They can't make it, and get it on Amazon. There you go. So, all right, Dave. Thanks again, and I look forward to meeting you in person. All right, looking forward to it, Max. To close out this series, I'm talking with Tom Sprillat with his first book, Katarina. The main character is actually a relative of Tom's, and he talks about how he learned of her story and turning these family tales into a completed novel. He goes into the more memorable stories and writing what amounts to a practice book before writing this one. I am talking to author Thomas Berlatt for his very new book, which sounds really interesting, Ekaterina. This story is entirely true. This is not a work of fiction. It's based on a very, very true story. So, Thomas, uh, first off, thank you for joining me. It's great to have you here. Who is this person, and and what about their story made you think, you know what, this is a book? So, okay, quick, quick clarification. It is a novel. So, but it is uh, overwhelmingly, it's 80, 20, 80 fact, 20% fiction. I didn't know enough to make it a biography. It's essentially the the story of the life of my grandfather's second wife. My biological grandmother passed away when my father was in high school. I never knew her. So this is the woman I knew growing up. And as I got older, and particularly after I became an adult, she shared stories of her life with me of course i only had one side never heard the other side of the story you know so i only had her take on her life plus a plus just a ton of research to help verify what i used to to write the book and how did you do the research because this is this is not like a major historical figure so how'd you kind of fill in the blanks i was like i mean a lot of it is, is a generic story that's why i like it it's an immigrant story it's, it's historic issues. There were large movements of people from uh, Western Russia to, to China and Siberia in the latter part of the 19th century and early 20th. She was part of that. There was the Japanese invasion. You can re- research that into China. There's information there and, and the interactions between them and the, the Russians, many white Russians, which she was, the, the um, non-Soviets, non-communist Russians that were expelled, how they moved within China, and then what happened with World War II. Um, and then her stories really took over after that. Plus, I, and then a number of them, um, likewise, she had civil rights issues later on. She was a Russian living in the south of the United States in the 1940s and 50s. So there's a, you know, there was involvement, J. Edgar Hoover and his crew investigating every Russian, of course, every Russian was a communist. There were periods of time where she had a, a normal life, but overwhelmingly it was filled uh, filled with all kinds of wild adventures. Yeah, I read some of those adventures on your site when you described who she was, and oh my God, Tom. I feel like if you were to pitch this book to someone, you'd have to punctuate every so often by saying, I am not making this up. It's just, just incredible, just incredible stories. Um, the... the you know, she never lost her accent, you know, 50 plus years in the States, never lost her accent. 
um, fundamentalist to you go, you'd go see her, and there was always the samovar tea service. You'd lay it out and do it soup to nuts, do it the right way. Fascinating, fascinating woman. Yeah, she she yeah. sounds it. Any particular stories of her that really stuck stuck with you? Uh, two in particular. She witnessed the death of her best friend, which was remarkably tragic um, in the Philippines during the bombings in World War II. And then at that same time frame, during that same period, well, there's so many, but I'm picking these two just off the top of my head. She spent most of the war years, four years, living in a hole in the ground in the mountains in the Philippines because she was not, you know, the Russians were not particularly welcome. Um, certainly she was hiding from the, the Japanese uh, and these people in the mountains uh, sheltered her. In a, in a hole in the ground. Jeez. And like you said, she made her way from Russia to China to the Philippines and eventually the States. I'm curious right. as to why she took that path. Yeah, well, yes. Um, my grandfather was an Army officer on MacArthur's staff. He's one of the characters in the book. At the end of the war, he was working in Manila uh, as a um, part of the force that was overseeing one of the um, POW camps for Japanese soldiers. And uh, my grandfather knew four languages. This is a funny story, typical military story. He, he grew up, household language was German, uh, bread and milk language was Polish. The government go to school, bureaucratic language was Russian. He was born in Bialystok, Poland. So he knew three first languages growing up. And then he came to the States and learned English. So when the wartime came as an immigrant, he felt it was his obligation to join the service. And of course, typical military story, knowing German, Russian, and Polish, they send him to Asia. Of course. Why not? Does that make um, sense in some way? Because it doesn't make sense to me. No, of course it doesn't make of any sense. Of course not. Okay, fantastic. But, you know, she was singing and working in these clubs at the end of the war. He was there at the end of the war. He knew Russian, and they hit it off. Oh, my God. That's so, ah, so amazing. So amazing. How was your family about this? Were they really supportive like, of the idea of sharing her story? So my father's still alive in his mid-90s. And I have to remind him that it is, it, it is a novel. There's, you know, there's, you know, there's enough where I had to fill in the gaps. That's why I didn't make it a biography. He took it really well. He really liked the book. He really liked it. Cool. So cool. I felt good about that. Yeah. All right. But there is a funny story because I've been waiting for years um, he has a box, he had a box of letters and correspondence that she had received from the last love of her life and in the book, Peter in the book, all in Russian. And I have photographs and everything with the Russian scripts on the back that I said, Dad, I'm working on this book. I'm working on this book. I could use this. And he, I never got it until after the book was published. <laughs> so... Um, so I'm trying to fill in some gaps of just from my own personal knowledge, trying to get some of that translated. But so I wrote the book without that stuff. Ah, uh, well, you know, sequel book, spinoff book, companion book. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of options here. There's some options yeah, friends here. Have, friends have suggested that. We'll see. What is your take on her as a person? I can't say honestly that I ever really knew her. I had to make my assessments on what I wrote in the book and how I described her based on a young boy's and a teenager's and an adult's perception of what she was giving to me, what she was putting out there, how she came across. 
extraordinarily stylish woman. I mean, the cover of my book was astounding. When I the artist sent this back, I had six different things to choose from, and she never and they never saw the photo that I have, which I'll probably bring with me on December second. She never saw that, but I said, "Oh my goodness!" As soon as I saw that cover, I said, "Ooh, that's her." Stylish, elegant, proud. She was a proud Russian native, you know, independent Russian proud. And she loved America. She loved the state. She became a U.S. citizen. But boy, oh boy, her heart was back home in Russia, and it just always, always was. Now, did did uh, she ever go go back to Russia? No. Wow. Why Never not? went back. Why not? You know, I mean, she became older, and it was still it was communist. Yeah. She she died before you know right at the end. Well, she was older by then, definitely into her seventies by the time in the early nineties when things changed over there. So no, she never went back. Oh, wow. She wasn't much of a traveler. If she had been, I think she would have gone with Peter, whose real name was Boris, off to Hawaii. But she didn't do that. You say not much of a traveler, but she has lived on like four on like four different countries. So, <laughs> I know, <that's laughs> so- yeah, I, that was done out of by necessity. Fair right? enough. Life, yeah, life, life's necessity. It offers her that you know she had had to go. No choice. Yeah. What got you into writing in the first place? Because I think we mentioned this is your first book. It's certainly the first novel I've published. Um, I've been writing for quite a while, all kinds of different things for, for, for a long time. Certainly when I was, I have some academic stuff that's out there, but it's a whole different kind of writing. And But I was a Rhode Island Foundation fellow um, in 1999 and 2000. And I was the executive director of a nonprofit organization that dealt with adult literacy. And everybody had stories, but they didn't know how to share them. So I wanted to learn about storytelling. As I got involved with storytelling, I, many of my storytelling colleagues had all these little books out there and, and, and learned to be a storyteller. And I said, that's fascinating. And I began to write stories and do oral storytelling and tell oral stories. And my, some of my friends said, wow, some of these stories would make a good book. Um, I got more serious. I joined um, you know, a writing group um, at the um, South Kingstown Neighborhood Guild. I've been writing weekly little vignettes for a long time. And when my friend said, you need to write this particular story as a book, um, when I finally stopped working full time, I, I, I just sat down and said, well, I need to see if I can write a book first. And one of the things I was working on today, uh, I, I have a, a novel that I already wrote that's finished, it's all done, to see if I could actually write a novel. But so I said, oh, wow, I, c- I could and I can. Um, but this was the story that I wanted to share, this particular one about Ekaterina. And so my emotional involvement with that was a little bit different. And so when it was finished and I had, you know, my beta group, my friends and others take a look at it, they said, oh, Yo, you, you got to publish this thing. Writing is not a career that I aspired to when I was younger. So I, you know, I found, I looked at all the different options and I had a great time working with, you know, Steve and Don Porter. Um, so that's that was the route I took with them at their shop. So that was, and now I got the second one. So I think, you know, I'll see him in this. <laughs> I may do the another one. And I've, I got a third one, 70 pages into a third one using similar characters. With this other story I wrote, I think it could make a good little series. So we'll see what happens. 
I love that you wrote a book to see if you could write another book, basically. Like, like you wrote a book more or less as practice to see if you could actually do one, like, for realsies. I love this. That That's what I did. It's, it's, uh, I have it. It's on my website. It's there. It's, you know, works in progress. I getcha. Tell me about the other book, though, the one that you're 70 pages into. Oh, then, okay. So, so this third one, um, in 1962, there was a successful escape of three people from Alcatraz prison. Um, then in the 1971, there was uh, D.B. Cooper, who bailed out of the airplane over Washington State. And then in the 1980s, uh, there was this man named uh, Dallas, Claude Dallas, who was uh, a mountain man who shot and killed a couple of people out in Idaho. So uh, I'm going to connect all those three with um, the characters, which is a with a river rafting crew, which is in this other book that is all done already, you know, so that's, that's, that's the plan. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I never know where I'm, you know, when I started writing, even the, the weekly one and two page things I write, I never know how it's going to end. Sorry. I knew how Katarina was going to end. So yeah. I didn't know. But these, Most of the things I write, I don't know how they're going to end. Yeah. And this other book you're working on sounds really interesting. Do you have like a preference for these kind of like real life thriller stories? I was a historian in in, in school. I I I worked for years at Mystic Seaport. I still volunteer down there once a week, talking about maritime history. So I, I like the history aspect. I've enjoyed reading, you know, historical fiction, and other things. But I read adventure novel. I read all you know lots of other types of things, uh, military things. I, you know, I was in the Navy, but I was looking for some unique way to work on a third book. <laughs> and I said, I have these characters who are, who are river rafting, and I can have them do river rafting in different places of the world. I didn't introduce them uh, well enough. I brought in kind of a someone who could become the main character of a series. I'm undecided about that in this novel that I wrote before Ekaterina. But I want to use him and this river rafting crew, and I can, I've already thought through potential plots and river rafting, you know, in the, down in the Amazon and out in, in Asia, um, you know, in the Himalayas and wherever. So I got these ideas. I just don't, not sure how long I'm going to live and how, how, long, how much writing I'll get done. <laughs> I love that that is like your motivation. I could die any day now, so let's get this stuff done. <laughs> I like that. Um, all right, Tom. So, of course, the expo is just a couple weeks away. Uh, what are you looking forward to about it? Well, you know, being a first timer, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure what to expect. I had several friends who've done it, some who liked the idea and return annually, others who said, yeah, they tried it, wasn't for them, and so on. Uh, I said, well, I'm a, I'm a rookie. I, I know it, it's a good story. It, it, you know, I have, I've had enough people read it now all over the country who've told me it's a good book. So I just want to see, get it out there, just experience the event myself which i haven't done mm. uh, i know i'll be behind the table most of the time be that as it may i think i'll i'll get the idea i'm just hoping a few more people will see it maybe somebody might like it and want to take a look at it and read it and uh, i have no preconceived notions about what to expect well i imagine it will still be a great time and and one more time folks before we go this is happening on saturday december 2nd 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Crown Plaza Ballroom in Warwick, Rhode Island. You go to riauthorexpo.com for more information and and to learn about this great writer. You go to Tom Berlatt, 
B-R-I-L-L-A-T.com. Everything's there. And Tom, thank you again and looking forward to meeting you in person at the Expo. Well, Max, I thank you for the opportunity to share this time with you. I appreciate it very much. Hey, this is singer-songwriter Danny Horovitz, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout. All right, folks, that brings this series to a close. I hope you enjoy the interviews, and I hope to see you at the upcoming Rhode Island Author Expo. Go to riauthorexpo.com for all the information, and keep on reading.